0: Hello everyone, this is the Movies as Mirrors podcast, where each week we talk about a movie that was chosen by our guest that somehow reflects their experience as a part of a marginalized community. We hope that through our conversations we can explore how pop culture can be a way to learn more about each other, about some sort of pressing social issues so that we can do better and make the world a better place in some small way through understanding people, I'm using movies as the means to do that. My name is Max Johnson. Hey, I'm Benjamin Thevenin, and today we have, hi, I'm Colton
1: Ashley. So today we're talking with Colton about um, the 2017 film Hostiles. Hostiles is a 2017 Western written for the screen and directed by Scott Cooper. It's based on a story by Donald E. Stewart. Um, It's set in the American West in the late 1800s and follows Captain Joseph Blocker, played by Christian Bale. Who uh, very reluctantly accepts his last assignment as a career soldier to escort um, Cheyenne Chief Yellow Hawk, played by West Duty, from where he and his family have been imprisoned for years in New Mexico to his ancestral lands in Montana. Now, Blocker and Yellow Hawk share a bloody past, having faced each other on opposite sides of the conflict between settlers and natives for decades before. On their trek north, the group, which uh, includes soldiers played by Rory Cochran, Jesse Plemons, Jonathan Majors, Ben Foster, Timothy Chalamet, among others, as well as Yellowhawks' family, uh, played by Adam Beach, Kirana Kilcher. Um, they encounter a frontier home attacked by a Comanche war party, uh, leaving a woman, Rosalie Quaid, played by Rosamund Pike, uh, without her husband and three children. Now, Miss Quaid joins the caravan, and along the way, they encounter threats from settlers and natives. Tensions within the group increase, and they're forced to face the violence that has dominated their relationship between the, their communities in the past.
0: I don't know how you've done all these years. Seeing all the things you've seen, doing all the things you've done, makes you feel inhuman after a while. Captain, you do know Chief Yellow Hawk. The army wants to be certain that the chief gets home to Montana safely without incident. I have any idea what he's done. He's a butcher. And the two of you ought to get along just fine.
1: So um, let's start, Colton, uh, with you just kind of telling us a little bit about yourself. And then telling us kind of we, how we landed on talking about hostiles for today's episode. Sure. Uh, so,
2: I am... Uh, half Native American specifically from the Navajo Nation Uh, my father's Navajo, my mother is Caucasian and uh, I guess uh, if you're just if I'm to claim anything I would say that I'm a a filmmaker and film uh, student of film and so we've sort of arrived at Hostels because of one of the things that we're going to get into in, in a moment but one of the reasons why I chose hostels is uh because it's a fairly recent uh, depiction. It falls also into a a kind of a, a form that a lot of Native depictions have, you know, fallen into and been shaped around. Um, and I enjoyed it. I enjoy it as a movie uh, in terms of like formalism, in terms of its how its different parts and that it was uh while in that familiar sort of form of a western that it it did something kind of interesting with its native characters but also just all of its characters in general so uh kind of for those reasons i felt like it was important to talk about because there's a lot of avenues we can sort of go down Mm -hmm. using that movie
1: I'm curious about this because it it took us a little while to kind of settle on hostiles. What do you see as some of the real um, obstacles facing us in this conversation and facing us kind of engaging with uh, reflections of Native American culture and the, the Navajo Nation specifically on film? Like what, like, you know, I, I feel like other guests have been able to come on and say yeah I see I see myself in this movie that was a harder experience for us to kind of figure out for this episode like what do you, what do you attribute that to sigh uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, n- not no not at
2: your question your question is very valid and, and like yeah it, it gets to the heart of of this very dense topic mm-hmm. it's um it's difficult because it's we have to talk about history sociology modern governance modern mainstream attitudes about some very difficult subjects mm-hmm. so the reason why it's difficult for me to to say like you know i'm native and i subscribe to this movie is because it's such a product of mainstream culture um it takes like they have sort of the the common mythological tribes like the Cheyenne, the Sioux, the Apache, the Comanche. Mm-hmm. You know, two out of those four are here, kind of in the mix, and those are sort of the stere the prototypical uh, peoples when people think of Native Americans when they think of the American West those are usually the peoples they think of yeah. because they are represented very ubiquitously in media now the interesting thing is, is usually they are played by people who are not uh, any of those and if you 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 know, if you want to you can look at at the native actors who are there and we're very glad that there are native actors playing native parts but Wes Studi uh, the lead Yellowhawk mm-hmm. He's Cherokee. Yeah. Adam Beach, his you know his son, uh, is Chippewa or Ojibwe or Saltu, One of those, uh, one of those names for a people <clears throat> from uh, Canada. Coriánca Kilcher, she's uh, she's not even a North American Native American. She's from South America from a people called the Quechua. Yeah. Uh, then Tanya Beatty, she's from a very small Pacific Northwest tribe. Um, who I th- now I'm going to probably butcher <coughs> butcher the people's name to to hell and gone but uh the Kwakiutl mhm but her specific tribe or set of folks from that uh there's only 225 of them there's not many of them and then the the young boy who plays uh, kind of West Studies grandchild he's Cherokee half Cherokee and half Navajo gotcha. so so you know, we talk about representation. We have a very uh, mythical story here. We have Cheyenne actors. We have all sorts of Native actors. But, you know, they're not played by Cheyenne people. Mm-hmm. So it's a little... When I say it's a product of mainstream culture, what I mean is, like, kind of that unnuanced way to look at it mm-hmm. is people saying native we'd rather have some native actors rather than native actors who you know their people are the ones that are actually being depicted here Mm -hmm. uh and it's funny being navajo because john ford made his westerns uh and then because he made his westerns a lot of others went to monument valley which is the navajo's neck of the woods so we've had experience being everyone we've been apaches and stagecoach we've been comanches we've been cheyenne we've been so many people But rare has it been that we've gotten to play ourselves. So that definitely affects me personally because I get to see people that look like me and share my culture not be themselves.
0: So when you see this movie where it mismatches um, tribes with the different tribal depictions what does that do to you? Does it it affect your immersion? Do you just find it personally offensive or do you just do you uh, wish it would be different for the sake of the actors who want to play those roles? So it's tough because uh,
2: it's difficult because of just who I am as a, as an audience member, uh, as someone who works in film, I understand their limitations and I understand that you can't always get verisimilitude You can't always have a one-to-one relationship with reality. Uh, So I accept a lot of those limitations. But I know that when it comes to depictions of a culture, of a race, of a people, that you have to seek after that. So I don't find it offensive and it can sometimes not affect my immersion and i think that's why i chose Hostels, is because there are moments there where it's a very human story rather than a native story uh if that doesn't sound too trite i was talking with a friend and i described Hostels as a malik movie mm-hmm. as directed mm-hmm. by a john ford clone <laughs> yeah that, like, i mean that, that's fair. stylistically there's there's clearly those influences there right yeah uh scott cooper said that you know Days of Heaven and Badlands are some of his, uh, you know. In film school, we had the game of the top ten, uh-huh. and he would, the way he he talked about it is those two movies are in his top ten. So gotcha. those are, those stylistic and philosophical influences are there, and I think yeah, if you make a western post uh, post nineteen seventy, John Ford's going to have a, an influence. So. Yeah, like, coming back to the original question of whether I find it offensive, not really, but I'm just hyper-aware that other Native peoples are going to see that and know that it's not a direct reflection on them. And it kind of comes to the complicated thing of, even if there was a verisimilitude, like in a movie, say, Chloe Zhao's uh, Songs That My Brothers Taught Me, which is a, a movie that takes place on the Pine Ridge Reservation and follows the Lakota, like that was very, a lot of verisimilitude, uh, non professional actors from the reservation. But because it's so Lakota, because it's so of its place, I have just as much, uh, I guess, distance with that movie mm-hmm. as with Hostiles. Because again, it, this is getting into like a talking about perception. And reality, and how individual perception is affected by the mainstream culture's perception. Uh, I mean, we get grouped together. We, as Native Americans, we're, can, we're all pushed into the same sort of, you know, census box on a form. But the reality is, is we're as different as any European country from each other. So, asking me how hostiles makes me feel about being native is like asking it'd be like asking uh eisen it'd be like asking fritz lang how you know alexander nevsky makes him feel about being german sure Mm -hmm. like there's germans in there but i think fritz lang would say well you know that's that's not the same like that's not congruous so
1: yeah, that I that I found that really interesting um when I was doing some research and we were brainstorming kind of what we should talk about today that I would, you know, look up like what are some of the best representations of Native Americans on screen and oftentimes uh well first of all like Navajo never appear. Very <laughs> rare. Amazing. It's
2: quite rare that we get to play ourselves. There's been a few movies modern in the modern setting but It's it's very strange because there's mm-hmm. probably no ethnic group, at least in the U.S. like I'm I'm sure it's, the situation's very different for Polynesians and for the world around, for all sorts of peoples. But mm-hmm. natives are, I mean, we are we we're, we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. We are all over the place. We make, like I said, we I think I don't know if I said this on air, but uh, we make great mise en scène. Mm-hmm. Folks love to have us in the background. They love to have us a set dressing. Yeah. But when it comes to actual characters and participants, that number shrinks down. And then when it comes to us being in control of our destiny, I mean, when we're the ones making creative decisions, that number gets to dozens. Yeah,
1: it's kind of amazing because like even in the list of best representations, first of all, if they're limiting it to uh, kind of North American Native uh, American representations, Inevitably, you'd have like dances with wolves, and just, you know, just kind of like clearly like movies that are using natives as set dressing, right? Yeah. And then if there were lists that kind of paid greater attention to those cultural representations, it was best indigenous movies of the world. And so, you know, once we're warriors was grouped with you know mm-hmm. whatever uh, smoke signals or something like that, and then, and it was just it just kind of proved to me how really how small a number of representations of Native Americans and really indigenous peoples across the world like, are even in the public consciousness. It's kind of crazy. I guess, yeah, when you're talking
2: about quote-unquote good or positive representations, yeah. which, uh, I, as a film person, i I feel bad for Dances with Wolves. It gets a bad rap. It mm-hmm. is a very stereotypical Natives as set dressing because, you know, a lot of people make the the kind of snide or very easy dig of like it's a white dude being a better indian than the indians which i'm like well a no Mm -hmm. (laughs) like they save his butt a few times yeah uh b it does actually show that there is a dynamic within native america like Mm -hmm. it simplifies it by they're showing like good indians and then bad indians but it shows that there is cross purposes and that there is a more complicated dynamic than like all the natives are just sort of buddies. Yeah. Like there's the Pawnee, there's the Sioux, they're not historically friends. They're not exactly uh, you know, they don't want to see the genocide of each other, but they really are not fond of one another. They'd mm-hmm. rather they'd rather not deal with each other. But, you know, in not many places is that dynamic explored.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I was wondering, because in Hostiles, we have Yellowhawks family, which are spoken about like they used to be bad, but now they're presented as uniformly good. And then you have the Comanche who are the bad natives. Did you feel like that was a similar dynamic as what you just mentioned?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a pretty, again, in like a simplified kind of verisimilitude. I wouldn't say that we should characterize yellow hawk and his family as bad as more it's just like they were uh them and the u.s army were just not they weren't each other's friend because they they weren't yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. uh but yeah again like the comanches and the cheyenne they're not friends they fight all the time like they fight great like before white people come on over they fight lots of intense you know bloody conflicts with each other they're not they are not allies in the least so Hostiles does that well again showing that there is a somewhat nuanced or just more complicated set of rules that maybe we don't uh, we don't get to see Um, but yeah like I appreciate that it's really small victories like that Um, you kind of have to get used to it when it concerns native cinema native Hmm. representation in general you kind of have to be satisfied with little tiny victories yeah like Um, crumbs off the table type of thing yeah Yeah. which again it becomes very difficult to talk about because then if people don't understand that those are just small victories and not great wonderful things they can kind of feel like you're uh overreacting or being somewhat being nitpicky Mm -hmm. like Um, I've if anyone who who has talked to me personally knows me personally knows that I have a fraught relationship with a certain movie.
1: Uh huh. Um, we won't we won't mention (laughs) it. We can can mention it. Yeah, I mean, you wanted to talk about the Revenant, yeah, because you hate it so much, right? (laughs) Um, yeah, because that is a
2: movie that, in terms of historical representation of natives in motion pictures it falls into a lot of the bad habits Mm -hmm. of things of stagecoach which as someone who likes john ford it's as a native that likes john ford it's hard to defend something like stagecoach now that for that movie there's a context of you have to look at that but then you also have to look at she wore a yellow ribbon ford apache the searchers as bad as that is for native representation and then like cheyenne autumn there is a growth and a progression there from natives are targets to be shot to no they are a people maybe we we don't understand each other and maybe they need to they need to you know kind of get with the program to okay well getting with the program meant that we killed a lot of them that wasn't good i don't know how to solve that to eventually with cheyenne autumn you Mm -hmm. have john ford's Giant apology letter, which is it's not a terribly good movie. It's very heartfelt. It's very sincere. And a lot of natives give it a very bad rap because there's a famous scene of, you know, John Ford told the native actors, you know, talk to this guy, uh-huh. and they're Navajos and they're, you know, they're insulting him in Navajo, and talking to like, you know, you're dumb, you know, you're you're a snake, you're a low life. And in the movie, it's presented like this young army captain is having this very fervent conversation with this native so a lot of Navajos laugh at that movie mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you know it in context it's a guy it's a filmmaker taking some ownership of what he's done and you know we shouldn't throw all of his work away because he didn't do so well originally because he's trying to do better there's an evolution there and we should appreciate that evolution and appreciate that he had the ability to recognize his role in, I guess, being sort of an, an imperialistic force. Yeah. Um but anyway, back to <laughs> the Revenant. <laughs> uh not only does it stagecoach, uh it's what do you mean by it's stagecoach? Uh, it just shoots natives. Okay. It shoots a lot of natives. It makes mm-hmm. us forces of nature. Like, the opening has all those Indians. They shoot and they fall out of the trees. Uh-huh. How the hell did they get in the trees? Like, you know, it doesn't treat natives as people. It treats us either as, like, we're mystical, weird, like, wraiths, which that's never fun. Or it just treats us like we're simpletons. Like, there's the one indian that helps out leonardo dicaprio you know by waving smoke over his back and uh-huh. having lots of nice dream sequence stuff but you know he's the only indian that smiles and he's also dead like
1: five seconds after that well and like if i remember correctly because it's been a while i saw it in the theater but i haven't seen it since then Don't. leo's <laughs> characters. N- Leo's character's family is native and he's, like, avenging their deaths or something like that. Yeah. And so well, it does kind of yeah. also, like, it positions him as sympathetic to, like, the native community, but, like, they're not primary characters. They're not a part of, really, the no. the plot. Well, I, and again, it it's, it makes us plot points. Like, yeah, the true story
2: of Hugh Glass is he went on this giant, long, like, ho- Homeric odyssey Mm -hmm. to get his gun back like it's this actual story is as a person who studies history especially American West history that's a story that how could you screw that up yeah by taking away one of the things that makes it uniquely American in that it's so it's such an undertaking for something so petty. Uh-huh. <laughs> if that doesn't sound too uh, that's a, that says, that's the Ameri- that says
1: America all over. That's right.
2: Well, it, you know, we wanted our freedom because we didn't like paying for our fair share of wars that we started, <laughs> like, a, mm-hmm. a, like extremely, extremely petty actions, <laughs> uh, extremes. Just because you know we didn't, we, we wanted something a very specific way. We wanted our tea a very specific way. So the revenant. As it tells the story of Hugh Glass it marginalizes us and makes us a MacGuffin and that's no fun Mm -hmm. but then it also sort of commits the sin of of this new sort of modern bit where it makes us it allows white people to have catharsis yeah but it doesn't extend that same courtesy to us so spoiler alert uh Leonardo DiCaprio catches up with Tom Hardy's character. They fight, and all throughout the movie, they've had a very, uh, shall I say, a very, uh, a very chicken relationship with the phrase, you mm-hmm. know, "vengeance is mine, thus yeah. saith the Lord." They they intuit this phrase and rephrase it a lot by saying, like, you know, well, the creator doesn't; it's the creator that wants to, that has uh, the duty for vengeance like no one else has it. Um first of all, just, you know, don't be a don't be a nerd. Mm-hmm. Just say it. We all know it. Like you don't have to natify it for us. Like yeah. just say it. And then uh, you know, Leo's gotten back. He's had his his rough em up with Tom Hardy, but you know, this nice native phrase comes back and then he sets Tom Hardy into a river who floats a few yards down to get picked up by natives and then murdered like and so it just solidifies the natives just, as like this supernatural force no it just like, makes us an old testament yeah, we're, we're uh-huh. a biblical plague and that's never fun and then they try to you know have a native B story about the guy who's killed tom hardy he's the reason why he keeps popping up is he's looking for his daughter and that's why he you know somehow keeps managing to pop up everywhere Mm -hmm. but it makes the daughter a victim of sexual assault yeah and it ties that character's identity entirely to sexual violence which you know depictions of sexual violence are somewhat like depictions of suicide like they are fraught you probably should just avoid them if you can if you don't have the nuance or the tools or context to understand about anything about that so, it just it it takes all the bad things of the past, mixes them with bad things from now, and then, um, you know, people get awards. And again, we make great musicians. Well, and, Feather, it's, and, it's, and I think, I think that's, what's is
1: difficult cool. is that like. In Year Two is a beautiful, like he makes a beautiful film, like who and who shot it? Someone, <clears throat> it's Lubezki. Lubezki, like uh, it's I, a really beautiful film, and there's it's fine. That, there's a there's that bear sequence and like Leo like camps out in like a buffalo carcass or something, right? you know, like in a horse there's these carcass. memorable sequences, but it's just so kind of mired in these inconsistent or inaccurate or unnuanced or just straight up like. Well, Patently like racist like representations, yes. right? So,
2: and part of my great issue with that is this is game. This is more personal, like as who I am as a person, rather than me as a native. Is that that the revenant is? Uh, it's the bizarro Antichrist version of the New World, mm-hmm. a movie by Terence Malick. So, yeah. basically, he picked every major department head from the New World had them do the revenant lifted shots straight out of the new world and made them serve this god awful master of just of just you know bitterness bile like it's it's a hateful hateful movie whereas the new world is a very hopeful movie mm-hmm. it doesn't shy away from the difficulties of the world or especially uh, native americans like it ends with spoiler alert uh, it ends with Koryanka Kilcher's character dying. Yeah. After we've spent the whole movie with her, her being the moral and uh, narrative center.
0: She plays Pocahontas, right? Correct, yeah. but they
2: never say Pocahontas because that's. Uh, she, the person that was called Pocahontas had several names. Oh, okay. So. Uh, and Malik mm-hmm. understands that and understands that going to a shortcut of being like, well, she's Pocahontas. Yep. Will create certain expectations and create a certain. It'll in bring so many things to the table that he just doesn't want to bring because those aren't, you know, those aren't real. But again, the new world does have some things like it. It operates a lot in myth, like mm-hmm. with a John Smith Pocahontas romance, more than to happen. But it is all to serve a better master. And it ends with a resounding call for hope and I- a realization that things, you know, the, the way that it will play out is that Native people will be genocided, there will be massive cultural loss, but that there is an optim at that moment, there is an optimism of there is thesis, antithesis, synthesis, like mm-hmm. the possibility of uh, that that interaction brings between those two cultures and two sets of people meeting. It ends with <clears throat> I think the last shot of people has Christian Bale holding his character's child, which is his with uh Kilcher's character. Mm-hmm. That there is the possibility of something to move forward. Whereas the Revenants, you know they kill Tom Hardy and- we get to do a close-up on leo's face while his breath fogs up a lens and we all get you know inyari two points at us and laughs us to scorn saying you know how dumb are you for you know this is just a movie Mm -hmm. uh and then yeah i mean the the revenant is a movie that seems like it was designed to make me mad (laughs) I am curious because we
1: we've, we've talked about so many titles um, and I just wonder like how you see Hostiles fitting into all of these like you picked it for a reason you've talked a little bit about like the you know Max asked the dynamic between the Cheyenne and the Comanche characters and that that being like kind of helpfully nuanced in some ways what are you what do you see as some of the other like, kind of strengths and also some of the limitations of the representation in Hostiles
2: So one of the great strengths that I liked from Hostiles uh, is that it doesn't shy away from the reality that, you know, there was armed and bloody conflict. And that uh, there's a very modern tendency to, you know, to just say that, you know, natives, we weren't offensive, which we, you know, we were not the original ones to give offense, but that... You know we had our hand in fighting We we certainly made war On each other we made war on others Like it's It acknowledges that but it also It Squarely places a lot of the Of I guess A lot of the judgment on white people mm-hmm. uh, There's a character In there um, uh cannot remember his name Is a- Metz? Yes Metz yeah, he's who, a memorable character. Who, uh, he makes, he doesn't make any sort of apology for, for having like served with friends, but he makes apology for what their service did and meant to mm-hmm. a people. Like they, they genocided a people off the map, and that that's that's a heavy burden to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it apprec that. Hostiles appreciated that there was a weight to that and that there was a possibility of reconciliation with Christian Bale's character and West Studi That they could, even though, yeah, West Studi has killed some of Christian Bale's friends. I mean, Christian Bale is one, like, West Studi okay. has to get his permission and has to get his aid in going home to die. Mm hmm that this guy has lived in a cage with his family with his son his daughter and his grandchild like he's he's lost completely and wholly so i think i appreciate i what i appreciated was that it un- the movie understood the reality of the situation better than a lot of others and it did its best to uh to empathize while not making excuses uh this is one of the great things about the movie. One of the difficult things about the movie is that it takes place in the past.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, by the end, you can kind of feel like, oh, you know... I'm sure glad that worked I'm, out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm. Mean, it's... Well, I mean, yeah... I mean it doesn't work out. No, but like, there's, there's a reconciliation but there's and a, t- since but, it takes place in the past, you can yeah. say, "Oh, I'm glad that's like, yeah, like behind
1: that. us or something," right?
2: Yeah, you can say like, you know, Phew, sure glad I didn't have to leave feeling confused," even though when I saw the movie in theaters, uh not to not to short sell because you, you both are a pair of white fellas.
1: Yes. Uh, that's, that's I mean, that's among the purposes of yeah. the, the, these conversations, right? So. Yeah. Not
2: not to not to short sell fellas like you but there was a group of uh of white guys that were in the theater with me and uh, i remember that uh they left feeling very they were they came very loudly and left very quietly which i could sort of appreciate but i i uh, eavesdropped a little on accident listening to their conversation and they kind of were like well i don't understand why they all had to die at the end and that was something I appreciated. Like I said, it makes no apology. The movie mm-hmm. doesn't let white people off the hook because yeah. as the movie ends, they've let West Dewey character pass away, which that is a very, I appreciated it, that it's a very, very new world mm-hmm. of letting this character who we've come to know and to love pass peacefully into uh, whatever lies beyond mm-hmm. um, with some form of dignity and then as his family's trying to mourn and to collect themselves and move on, we have a bunch of white guys show up going, hey like get off and uh, you know, there's a gunfight that ensues and every one of the natives except for the smallest of them is, is killed and it's, you know, they were bummed out by that, but I was, for me that was, it there's a strange catharsis and like well, will own it that's what happened like yeah it's senseless and needless but it's like the violence that is happening to us culturally is still senseless and needless like just you know live with it it's not comfortable but deal with it mm-hmm. so again something i appreciated but going back to things that i wish were different is that the story takes place in the past when we should talk about things today there's plenty to talk about today right yeah. now um, and we do a disservice to not talk about those things
1: like if, if uh, it's, co- it's easier for us to apologize for the atrocities through the mouth of someone in the past and kind of like bury that with them Rather than face having to face the fact that like we're still living with the consequences of that tragic history today, and that there if there was that apology from that person to that other person in the past, there isn't an apology like um within i don't know among the greater communities today, there isn't a recompense right today that that there needs to be correct um yeah, it just.
2: I, I, I'm not sure if you you know, the types of conversations you've had about race relations on this podcast. I mean, there's still some hesitancy and some there's you know, one of the counter arguments for certain progressive things are, well, how should we be held responsible for say slavery? I never owned a slave or my family was not we weren't involved in that. We came in we came in the twenties over to Ellis Island. You know, whatever. Mhm. This is one of those times where that conversation can't, it just holds no water. Because, I mean, the horrifying things that still happen to natives today, like, I feel bad. This is a conversation that has Mm -hmm. no silver lining, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. There's, There's none to be had here. There's no, maybe one day it'll all work out. Like, it won't. That's not your guys' fault, personally. But, you know, because everyone who's listening to this or everyone who lives in the U.S. and is walking around because we're not talking about it, like, yeah, you're kind of at fault. Like, you you should have known, but you don't. So, mm-hmm. like... um again there's there's no silver lining to be had there's no it's it's why yeah it's one of the great things that is difficult about hostels is that you know it lets Christian bale get on the train and be kind of happy and okay it's it's not happy and okay and it won't be it never will be mm-hmm. like uh
1: and it just lets you guys off the hook with that ending like we need to end with the the deaths and not with the whatever the potential for reconciliation yeah there
0: were so many false ends I was really hoping it was gonna cut after he uh cut up the um the rancher guy mm-hmm. but um I think it would've left a little bit more oomph in there uh I'm fine
2: with the ending of like there being some hope I guess it's I, I you know here I am being a hypocrite saying like you know the ending's false, but I prefer
1: the false ending. Uh-huh.
2: A little bit of uh, <clears throat> self-delusion and denial there. Like, let,
1: It makes for a good story, narrative revolution, but it doesn't it speak for, to the historical or present be, realities. Yeah.
2: And it speaks to again, the complicated relationship between white people and natives. Of like, There are genuinely white people who have made it their life's mission to try to make native lives better. Mm-hmm. My mother being one of them. Not for any sort of you know she didn't feel responsible for it but she felt like it was one of her life's callings to try and help give native kids a good education not in the typical boarding school way she didn't subscribe to that at all she thought that you know giving kids a loving environment where they could feel comfortable uh you know just taking risks was school and she did her best to foster that type of dynamic and she thought that that native americans had you know their culture you know uh, that the us culturally politically sociologically uh was robbed by its destruction of natives yeah because of what uh, natives have to offer so that's You know, part of the ending I like because it recalls my mother with Rosamund Pike's character of just you know doing the best she can. Also, you know, she can't bring this kid's parents back to life. She can't undo the systematic oppression and destruction of his individual and cultural self. But she can try to raise him. She can give him a home that you know, that where someone loves him. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's kind of like triage. Like, she can't... She can't cure him, but she can just try to make sure he's comfortable for a little while. I guess not triage, hospice. Yeah, That's what I meant. Yeah, Hospice.
0: Well, thanks a lot. This has been a really in-depth conversation. Um, Do we have a question for the viewers? You know what? I don't have a question for (laughs) listeners today. I feel like... I don't know.
1: Just sit with what Colton's talked about today. Okay. <laughs> Let that suck in. Well, thank you to Aiden Bay for our musical intro. If you do have any listener feedback, we welcome it. You can email us at moviesasmirrors at gmail.com. If anything, just think about it, though. You don't even have to respond to us. Yeah, think uh, about it. Thanks Next.
2: again, Colton. Yeah, thank you.